0: You're listening to the Gov Future Podcast, highlighting discussions and insights around innovative technology impacting the public sector. Hear from experts working with and inside the government on ways that technology is shaping the future of the public sector. On this episode, we talk to Martin Stanley, Strategic Technology Branch Chief, Office of Strategy Policy and Plans at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA. We'll hear how emerging technologies, such as AI and quantum, are impacting cybersecurity, and how the interconnected nature of cyber threats requires collaboration between federal agencies and industry partners to address cybersecurity challenges given the ever-growing sophistication of cyber attacks. Stay tuned.
1: Hello and welcome to the GovFuture Future Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ron Milzer.
2: And again, thank you to all of our listeners who have been sending us a bunch of feedback on the content. We continue to have some really fantastic interviews with folks and innovators in the government community. And as you've been hearing, not just folks from the federal community, civilian defense, but also state and local and some even interna- international. So we encourage uh, you folks to, if you have suggestions for folks who are doing really cool, innovative work, that's across all. All the areas of innovation, of course, AI takes a lot of the limelight and attention, but there's a lot on automation and analytics and big data and cyber and, and IT modernization and all sorts of things around big data. These are still areas of significant innovation, and uh, we love hearing from folks who are trying to put these things into practice. And that's, of course, what this Gut Future podcast is all about. You know, really focusing on transformative technology and, of course, these conversations on these key topics that help our listeners and GovFuture members learn the latest innovations and best practices to stay ahead of innovation in the public sector.
1: Exactly. So if you're not familiar with our GovFuture community, GovFuture is the fastest growing community of government innovators. You can learn more at GovFuture.com and we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. But you know, we really want to involve the entire ecosystem when we uh, talk about GovFuture and bring everybody to the table because you need that in order to learn and move forward. So we want to make sure that we have a variety of different interviews and topic areas that we cover. On today's podcast, We're so excited to have with us Martin Stanley, who is Strategic Technology Branch Chief, Office of Strategy, Policy, and Plans at Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, also known as CISA. So welcome, Martin. Thanks so much for joining us today.
3: Thank you for having me. This is a, a, a great concept here.
1: Yeah, we're really looking forward to this discussion. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and what you do at CISA.
3: Sure. Thank you, uh, Kathleen and, and Ron. Thank you for having me. Um, again, my name is Martin Stanley. I'm the Strategic Technology Branch Chief uh, at CISA. And in that role, I run, I basically run our agency R&D program uh, in, in conjunction with our Science and Technology Directorate. And what that means, practically, is we work with our mission side to identify uh, technology requirements related to capability gaps that we have in meeting our mission. And we try to identify technology solutions that um, we can then transition back into um, our our mission side to uh, increase either our our ability to serve our stakeholders or increase our capacity or, um, you know, have new capabilities, all that kind of thing. And it's a really interesting job because we get to work with all the different mission side folks. We get to work with emerging technology uh, experts and leaders, and then we get to transition those um, those capabilities back in. and And uh, it's it's very 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 rewarding. Um, the other part of my job is serving as a subject matter expert on. Cybersecurity for artificial intelligence, and also artificial intelligence for cybersecurity. I know there's a lot of talk these days about artificial intelligence, um, but you know we've been working on AI as it relates to at least our cyber mission space for quite some time, and in particular, you know we've long felt that cybersecurity is going to be important for AI systems, and AI systems are also going to be enabling uh, some of those gaps that I talked about earlier. And I think for context, as we talk about, you know, some of the you know, current concerns that we're reading about and everyone's, you know, focused on the large language models. But um, we think of cybersecurity traditionally as, you know, in, in, in three, you know, kind of um, kind of threat areas, confidentiality, integrity and, availab- and availability. The very highest level, that's the triad that we always talk about and i think we've got great and extensive experience with confidentiality and availability kinds of concerns those are our ransomware attacks those are our you know data breaches and things like that and we've been we've been working on those denial of service those have been the kinds of cyber um, cyber uh, actors that we've been that we've been dealing with for quite some time i think with artificial intelligence we're we're starting to get more of a flavor of what integrity attacks would look like not necessarily being able to trust the output of the system. Uh, I think today, you know, and, and, you know, previous to today, today, we've been very um, trusting of the outputs of systems. And I think now we're going to be thinking a little bit more about, you know, do we know and 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 how, how can we be sure that this output is trustworthy?
2: Yeah, that's a really big and a fundamental idea. I think that we're looking about. You know, as you know, one of the great ideas in cybersecurity was this idea of zero trust, which really had more has more to do with the philosophical approach and how we deal with data and trusted systems. But now we're realizing that maybe zero trust should apply to people too. You know, uh, we can't necessarily trust everything we see, we hear, we read. All of that stuff now is just so easily manipulable and the lines, you know, it's really becoming harder and harder to tell because uh, we're training these systems, of course, increasingly on the real outputs and real interactions of humans. So it becomes uh, becomes harder, Uh, but we could definitely dive into that. I think one of the great things also that we've noticed is that sort of traditionally when we talk about technology and IT, we tend to group Our conversations, I guess, by these technology areas. You know, we're talking about databases, so let's have that conversation over here. We're talking about AI, so let's have that conversation over here. We're having cybersecurity, let's have that conversation over here. And actually, almost sometimes, literally, we'll go to events where there'll be different rooms, and they're having these different conversations. But but we're seeing these are actually merged conversations now. This idea of stovepipes, uh, technology doesn't really—it's increasingly making less and less sense because we're using ai for cyber we're using big data for ai we're using analytics for this and automation for that and so so really starting to see uh, less in the way of differentiation um from that perspective so maybe from your perspective you know how are you seeing and how emerging technologies ai even quantum which we'd like to Fantasize a little bit from time to time. You know how are they impacting cyber at CISA or just in general? Your thoughts on on these all these different technology areas? Maybe it's making it harder even to to deal with everything all at once. Well, so,
3: so Ron, that that's an awesome question, and you know it's it's you know it's it's real it's really interesting. We're, we're seeing two things. The first is we're seeing a convergence amongst the requirements. I talked about you know looking across our entire mission space for. Um, uh, you know, where we've got technology gaps and how do we how do we fill those gaps? Initially, five, six, seven years ago when we were working on this, they were very different requirements. CIS so has got multiple mission spaces. We have obviously our cyber mission space, but we also have critical infrastructure protection and emergency communications. And I think one of the more you know rewarding things that we've been seeing over the years has been this convergence of the actual long term technology requirements that we have. So now we're seeing analytic needs, um, you know, out of all of our different areas. Um, And I think the second aspect of what you mentioned, which is really, really interesting as well, is this concept of adjacent technologies, everyone's focused on AI, but there's all these adjacent technologies, whether it's, you know, data protection, or it's, you know, automation, robotics, you know, all that kind of stuff, sensors, where all the focus is on AI, but it's all those other components that are also going to be um, necessary in order to get the full promise of that that technology. So how do we look at this? Well, we look at all of these technologies, whether it's artificial intelligence, quantum, and, 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 and on and on from three perspectives. We look at it as how we can further our mission, you know, how we can meet those technology gaps that we have. We're very concerned about how our, stake, our stakeholders are going to adopt and use these kinds of technologies in the context that it'll change the um, attack surface that we need to assist them in protecting. And then lastly, um, we're very concerned as well with how our adversaries can leverage emerging technologies in order to change that threat landscape. So, you know, I, I think I'll I'll, I'll kind of pause there on, on, on that aspect of it, but you know, it's those multiple perspectives that are, are informative to us as to how we want to you know, think about moving forward with these um, capabilities within these adjacent technologies. And I always say this, um, this is my you know standard disclaimer, um, and we're going to get into it as we talk about trustworthy AI. But as an agency, as a department, I've been very impressed since I've been here, you know, in the last 10 years, how focused we are on the Appropriate use, the lawful, authorized um, use of the data that we collect for the purposes in which we collect it. Um, you know, we've got a lot of controls around that, and we want to make sure that we continue to instantiate and 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 make those controls happen, so that we can you know preserve you know, our reputation uh, and in the in the good relationships that we have with our stakeholders. Um, on the AI front, we've been working at the interagency level since the beginning, from the a uh, trustworthy AI executive order to preserving American leadership um, in in AI. we've been working um, with the you know foundation of of all of those kinds of uh, concepts. And you know it's really important. NIST just release just released the um, uh, AI risk management framework. I would encourage listeners if they haven't checked it out. It's a real, you know, it's an easy read. it's approachable, but they've done an incredibly nice job of breaking. Down, what trustworthiness means, and I think it really comes back to that. These systems are about people, um, and and people need to trust these you know trust these systems. And then on the quantum side, I think you're probably familiar with all the work that's going on. But for the listeners that are not uh, aware, there's a uh, uh, multiple quantum initiatives. They're I think a lot easier to understand than the AI initiatives, just because they're they're simpler and more focused. Uh, NIST has a lead on developing quantum secure algorithms. Obviously, um, you know the the biggest threat that quantum computing presents is the ability to break through some of our you know traditional encryption uh, algorithms. And so, we're I think in the final phases of testing and 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 validating some of the finalists. And then on the CISA side, you know our our function under FISMA is to work with federal agencies to help them to implement their cybersecurity programs um, and develop capabilities, Um, we provide services, all of that kind of stuff to to bolster and to improve the federal cybersecurity posture. Um, We're working uh, at the interagency level to identify and quantify the threat space by um, assisting agencies to to identify what their cryptographic uh, system inventory is.
1: Yeah, you know, there's so much going on and unpacked in that. So, I mean, what we always say and I like that you're, you know, you're reiterating it is that you shouldn't just we we sometimes call it silos or stovepipes, but right, you shouldn't just focus on, okay, well this is cybersecurity, so I don't need to worry about anything else. That, you know, I just focus on cybersecurity. I'm just focused on automation. Or I'm just focused on AI because everything comes down to data, right? And some of these uh, conversations that we're having about, you know, trustworthiness, these are things that even at just like a high level, people should know and at least kind of understand. I think the past maybe decade or so has really brought more awareness of data and your data footprint in general with how your data is being used, how quickly data is being generated. I mean, you know, that is just crazy. From These
3: systems are here for people, right? You know, we're not here for the systems.
1: <laughs> I hope. I don't know. Exactly. Um, yeah, so, and, I know,
2: and I think that's like, to your point, you know, we talk about this, that that uh, the people get lost in all that. I think that's sort of like, I'm going to parlay to Kathleen's next question on this. But yeah.
1: yeah. And I think people do sometimes get lost in this too, right? You know, if we talk about data, you have to say, but what, at the end of the day, what is that data representing? It's representing a real human being. And don't forget that because I think that when you approach the topic saying, this isn't data, you know, in some air quote, this is a a human being, or this is, uh, you know, something that I'm actually representing. It helps you think about it, I think, in a better light. So CISA is America's cyber defense agency. How do you assist in dealing with some of these cyber security incidents? Maybe, you know, talk about how you approach that, maybe also how you collaborate and work with other agencies as well.
3: Sure. So, um, CISA has long been, and and its primary, um, uh, you know, primary roots going, you know, all the way back to the the initiation of our our division, which was the National Cyber um, Security Division at at DHS, was an incident response shop, and so we have, you know, a long, long, long history of of working with stakeholders in a trusted way um, to assist them in responding to the evolution of the cyber threat. Um, as America's Cyber Defense Agency and the National Coordinator for Critical Infrastructure, Resiliency, and Security, CISA leads a national effort to understand, manage, and reduce risk to the cyber and physical infrastructure that Americans rely on every hour of every day. I'm obligated to say that because I think that's our our tagline. Um, but specifically what we do is we respond to particular incidents that are reported to, that, that are reported to us. We just um, passed the uh the Congress just passed the Cercia legislation, which is an incident reporting requirement for certain entities um to report cyber incidents to um to uh to CISA for three purposes. One is for us to render aid. The second is um, for us to understand how others could potentially be um you know it, at risk and then also to develop responses to these campaigns. And and in that in that regard we lead for example the nationwide response to log 4j um you know the the nationwide response to solar winds right that was all of that was was led by our agency um so we provide resources we um do a lot of trend analysis I think that gets back to the AI stuff you know where we can you know, potentially do a lot better and a lot faster, um, with the data that we have coming in from different sources to identify when there's, you know, potential campaigns. Um, and then lastly, being able to quickly share that with, you know, the nation's cyber defenders in an effective way. So, you know, primarily that is our, that, that is our function, you know, to, to lead those responses. Um, but we can do it at, you know, we can do it at the tactical, but also at the, at the broadly strategic level as well.
2: Yeah and And I was spending some time looking at the CSS website on especially on the infrastructure, critical infrastructure side and resilience. and it's it's both impressive and maybe even overwhelming the the amount of infrastructure we're talking about here. For those that aren't familiar, it's it's the chemical sector, the commercial facilities, including things like stadiums, communication sector, the critical manufacturing sector, dams, defense intu- industrial base, emergency services energy sector, financial services sector, food and agriculture, government facilities, healthcare and public services, IT, nuclear reactors, Materials and waste, transportation systems, water and wastewater systems. So it's not all of these, right? A, has a has a has a role in in fundamentally coordinating and managing the the risk because all those are so critical. It's like we forget about almost in some ways how fragile society could be if any of those critical bits of infrastructure are removed. We could see what's happening in other parts of the world where those things are uh, you know damaged or destroyed or or, or made more difficult. And of course, when I talk about these things, I'm thinking, oh, there's lots of other, of course, there's lots of other agencies involved here because we have DOE for energy and DOT for transportation, HHS and the healthcare. We have, you know, uh, treasury and financial services. We have so many other agencies that have a role to play here. So, of course, the big question is, is, you know, give interconnected nature of not just the cyber threats, but these physical infrastructure threats as well. How do you collaborate with these other agencies and, and these and perhaps industry partners that may be providers, solution providers, technology providers, I think of electricity infrastructure and the big companies and that are involved there. How how do you how do you deal with that? How do you coordinate?
3: Well so, so this is a, a really great question and I think it's one of our core roles and one of our core strengths. Um we have a unique view as a result of the engagement with all these, you know, various stakeholders. And it's a very important um, position as well. Being able to identify and coordinate not only within a particular critical infrastructure sector, but across all of them, uh, is something that is in the DNA of our organization. We recently um, created the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative or the JCDC, it's an emerging organization um, within within the CISA, reorganization that happened with the establishment of the agency in 2018. And the JCDC is an organization comprised of um, organizations across the public and private sector um, that are focused on reducing the national cyber risk. Um, It's not just a CISA thing. This is a um, open and um, operational forum and planning uh, group where federal agencies and critical infrastructure partners engage uh, as partners. So, you know, this is a a, a new thing, um, but it's in many ways an old thing that we've been doing. Um, you know, it's very coordinated. Um, it's, you know, broadly supported, um, you know, highly funded and all that to encourage that collaboration. Um, in the last year, it's become operational. Um, we have, you know, it's, you know, Built upon the existing relationships to maintain persistent collaboration between industry and the government, um, and this is for the purpose of developing joint cyber defense plans and to improve real-time information sharing, planning, and exercising on national threats to reduce risk. And I think this is you know really where we should pause, you know, to talk about like why is that you know so important, and it's because everything is interconnected as we just talked about. You know these these requirements are, you know. Where they used to be so unique and focused on a particular, um, a, you know, one one particular vertical and maybe not of a concern to others, they're now broadly, you know, shared across all these these vulnerabilities. Um, as I mentioned before, this was the group that coordinated the global response to the Log4Shell vulnerability. Um, and we're also um working to help uh, prepare for and respond to malicious cyber activity related to. You know, obviously, the the unfortunate um, Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine.
1: Yeah, you know, we uh, I mean that wasn't great, but we like to hear about you know how you do collaborate and help and work with you know people both in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. as well. And unfortunately, th- that's just ever growing sophistication of cyber attacks. So, how is CISA staying ahead of the curve in terms of developing and implementing effective defense strategies?
3: Boy, what a great question! <laughs> so, um, and, and, it, and I think it comes into something that we've actually just um, we've just announced um, this the CISA's initiative for Secured by design, secure by default, um, which is actually part of the new national cyber strategy. Um, as part of this and, and under um you know, under this, that, that effort we recently released principles and approaches for secure by design and default um, with our international uh, partner nations. Uh, there's this is available on our website. You can search for secure by design, secure by default and and CISA and you'll, you'll get directed to a webpage where, where you've got all these um you know, all these different resources, but you know, to sum it up, you know the design approach these design tactics include things like memory safe program languages secure hardware foundation secure software components code review SBOM is a big thing for us we just have a you know huge initiative with our silicon valley partners to enhance sbom uh, capability for for the industry and vulnerability disclosures and 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 you know lots of additional um lots of lots of additional um, considerations around design of, of technology and then, um, secure by default, uh, tactics are things that are, I think, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, a little more focused around your configuration out of the box stuff like default passwords, not having default passwords, enabling single sign on by default, secure logging, um, your secure authorization profile profiles and, and making it easier by reducing the hardening guide, um, you know, complexity. Uh, and there's and there's much more in there. And so those um those approaches are things that we're going to be working very closely with industry partners who are you know best resourced to manage um and and implement those capabilities and take you know take the burden off you know the the you know highly you know vulnerable and and resource challenged you know folks out there that you know we we see in in this um. You know, in in it where they have a very large, large, large attack surface, and they're generally not very well funded, right? Using this kind of technology, those are those are typically what represents a soft underbelly of this of of our attack surface.
2: Yeah, I think so. And you know, just like in the, I would say traditional well, nothing's traditional anymore, but like the traditional world of defense, where you know we learned that it's not always about large, you know, government actors with large armies causing problems. It's this asymmetric warfare and asymmetric issues, you can have small people, but when they have access to advanced technology, they can cause all sorts of problems here. And I think that's one of the biggest things we're, we're, we're discussing, which is that everything now is a cross-domain Multi technological, multi technological, multi cross stovepipe. And there's no stovepipes anymore. You know, issue where someone could take a little bit of automation, a little bit of AI, a little bit of big data, some analytics, this and that, and do something which maybe previously only somebody who had significant resources could do. And that means that people now have to become much more aware of all these things, which is a little overwhelming. It's hard to become an expert in everything. Uh, That's probably literally impossible, but but there has to be an organizational knowledge. It's like, well, an individual may not need to, but somehow the organization needs to have that uh, awareness, which is really, really difficult. So... As part of that, you know, we have not only these new technology areas, and we're techies, we love technology, but not everything is a technology solution, right? Uh, we have people, process, and technology, you always say. The people are incredibly important, right? Uh, and of course, the other little, maybe a little uh, extra bit of magic, perhaps, is that process, which is new approaches to doing things, new ways of doing things and maybe getting rid of some older ways and in cyber one of those ways is zero trust which is really more of a an approach it's an approach to thinking and designing and and managing systems so that we have an expectation, or perhaps a lack of expectation of trust, and then we build systems in a particular way. So maybe you could talk a little bit about some of those new approaches, some some other approaches that are really started impacting the way you're thinking about uh, and applying, you know, everything uh, that's the organization's mission around critical uh, structure resiliency and security. Yeah.
3: Sure. So so zero trust is a very uh, important part of our overall cybersecurity approach. Um the uh the zero trust maturity model or CISA zero trust maturity model um was recently updated um and released. And I think there's a response for comments. Um so that's in the last couple months. And I really Ron liked your 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 point about zero trust is not you know a product that you go buy, right it's a it's a design um approach and it's a trust model you know across your users and your systems and your data and um it's an approach that generally should leverage a lot of the capabilities that you already have and i've been you know i've been asked you know in other you know forum before about like you know what should folks do if they're you know just starting out on zero trust is the first thing they should do is talk to their existing vendors and their, you know, look at their existing, you know, tools and capabilities and find out how much of that they can use um, because most of these controls are just repurposing um, some of the existing security controls that folks have. Back in one of my old positions, um, when I ran the cybersecurity assurance branch and um, our federal network resilience division, we were working very closely um, with uh, OMB um, on, executing the high value asset program. You probably, you know, talked about that here. And if you hadn't, it's probably, you know, worth having one of our HVA experts on. But, you know, what we found, you know, during the analysis of all these, you know, really critical and important and very, you know, high notoriety federal systems, which I won't name any names here, but, you know, the ones that, you know, the ones that you would all, you know, and certainly agency missions, was that, you know, while there's a lot of effort to secure these systems and the application of security controls, it was the way in which the security controls were applied, not the lack of security controls that contributed to vulnerabilities and weaknesses. And so it's not just having those security controls, it's applying them in a prescribed manner. And I think, you know, our Zero Trust Maturity Model is a great resource for helping folks to look at the application of your existing security controls and the identification of you know what additional security controls you want to meet your um, security objectives. So, you know, from 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 my perspective, there's a lot out there now on zero trust, but most organizations are still beginning their journey towards that. And you know, the fact that we have a lot of resources out there uh, are, are is really great. I just would encourage folks to you know be careful about you're getting led down the wrong path, like they have to throw out all their existing investments. It shouldn't be the case. Our CDM program was designed to, you know, evolve, you know, to, to accommodate new architectures, new security architectures. And, you know, most of those tools are reusable, you know, for that.
1: Yeah, perfect. And we found a link to that. I will make sure to link to it in the show notes for anybody that wants to check it out. It uh, looks like a really good read. Also, I like to hear you know you say learn from others. That's something that we say all the time. This is probably not a unique problem. Definitely not specific and unique to you. Sometimes you just need to look maybe one or two steps out a little, you know, and and say okay maybe they don't have my exact problem, but what is very similar and what can I learn from? Because we always say learn from others, right? Don't reinvent the wheel. You don't need to do this. Someone else has probably done it, gone through all the pain points and. solved this or is at least on their way to solving it. So see what they've done. We also touched upon a lot of topics on today's podcast, a lot of those, you know, big focus areas, AI, cybersecurity, zero trust. And, uh, you know, IT modernization, all of this. So this was such a wonderful podcast. I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of this. I know that we did. We always like to wrap up the podcast by asking the same question. And we always get varied results because you're able to take your own, you know, knowledge and information and background into this and really kind of answer it as your own. So what do you see or hope to see as the future of technology and innovation in the government?
3: Well, so it has been a whirlwind uh, tour of uh, technology topics, uh, but I, so I think to kind of sum it all up, the, the future has got to be how this technology integrates to support people, and specifically as someone who works for the government, um, and you know our agencies are are responsible for you know serving the American people. It should make accessing government and interacting with government easier. I mean, I think that's probably the, the 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 number one focus. And if you talk with CIOs and you know from other agencies, I think they, they're doing a lot of work towards that and we certainly have a long way to go. Um, but we can't lose sight of this human machine teaming. I think it's a very important thing to consider that as we bring in automation, we bring in new capabilities, Uh, it creates other opportunities for the humans. We're not looking to replace people. We're not looking to um, have everyone interact, you know, with, with, with machines. I think we're going to be freeing up people to do a lot more of the work that people are good at. And I think we need to go back and think about what those things are. But one of the things that people are really good at is working with other people. And so I think, you know, generally speaking, that's probably, a, you know, a great vision, you know, for the future is that um, we're going to be enabling, uh, you know, better interaction for, for, for people um, with these kinds of, you know, general, you know, broader, in this case, systems, meaning, you know, the various kinds of programs that the government runs, um, you know, for, for the benefit. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more automation. Um, I think we're going to have to be very careful. Not to um, not to send the message that you know we we want to slow down or you know restrict innovation simply because that's not going to happen. Um, you know, it's it the reality is is we if you try and get in the way of innovation, it's just going to happen anyways. And then we'll be creating you know alternate um, you know shadow IT. We'll be creating you know vulnerabilities that we're not aware of, and so we have to embrace it. We have to challenge ourselves to get um, smarter and and better at it. And I think that there's a lot of there there's there's a lot of of that kind of attitude that I with folks that I work with on a day to day basis. That you know I'm very optimistic about that. So you know not losing sight of the fact that that we're doing this to actually you know serve people. I think is probably the best way to
2: leave this conversation. Fantastic. And it's been a great conversation. <laughs> and uh, I'm keeping an eye on the clocker because I know that we could probably go on for hours. We probably will. So we might have you back if you're open to it on a future podcast. Sure. We're showing off some of what you do. In addition to this, we have all these opportunities to get together both online and in person. We run our Go Future Forum event, uh, both in D.C., which is at George Mason University. For those that are in the region, you can come join us. And we have demos. We actually had do a lot of show and tell. Uh, as well as we also have hot topic panels that we do where we talk about hot topics. So you're welcome to join us there. For those of you that are listening to us that are not in the DC region, we haven't forgotten about you. We know you, we love you guys. Uh, Many of you have been with us since our AI and government days. So this is sort of where Future evolved from. For those of you that don't know, AI and government was the start of all this. Back in 2019, we were in person at George Washington University, and then, of course, the pandemic happened, as it did everywhere, and then we moved that online, and we started running our AI and government series online, and then we Realized, hey, there's a global government community and they want to talk about more than AI. And that's the evolution of the future. So we have opportunities both in person and online. So stay tuned, everybody. As, as Kathleen told you, if you're interested in seeing all those things, just go to GovFuture.com and go to slash join if you want to do some of our member activities, which we are going to do more and more of. So, uh, But without further ado, I just want to thank you so much, Martin. You've been so fantastic uh, sharing your insights with our audience, and uh, we're just g- grateful to have you on our podcast.
3: Thank you so much. I will check out your GovFuture uh, site.
1: Wonderful. Yeah. And thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. As I mentioned, we talked talked about so many different topics. So hopefully our listeners got a lot from this. And we have a lot more interviews lined up. So please do make sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get notified of all of those upcoming episodes. We've got great resources if you're looking to get more insights and details on a range of technology that we discussed in this podcast and other topics as well. Check out our resources, books courses, checklists, explainer videos, webinars, and more at govfuture.com resources, tailored for our GovFuture listeners. Again, that's govfuture.com resources, and we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well.
0: To view this episode's show notes, find additional episodes, subscribe to this podcast, and join the fastest-growing community of government innovators. Go to govfuture.com/podcast. This sound recording and its contents are copyright Gov Future. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening to the Gov Future podcast, and catch you at the next episode.